Hey there, everybody. Welcome to A Friend in Me, the podcast about friendship, culture, and the kingdom of God, all through the lens of Pixar. Today, I'm really excited to talk with Sam DeVore, my friend from Gordon-Conwell, about the movie Cars. Now, Sam is a big fan of Cars. He would say it's his favorite Pixar movie. And so it was great to have him on to chat about this movie, which I myself put kind of mid-low in my own rankings, mid to low. But I did actually really enjoy this, and I hope you all do as well. Now, I do have a couple of things coming up I want to let you know about. One is the Lightyear live stream this Friday at 7 p.m. on my Facebook account. I'm going to have a live stream video conversation with a couple friends about the movie Lightyear. We're also going to do some Buzz Lightyear trivia and talk more about the character as a whole before we zoom in on this specific new movie about Buzz Lightyear. So if you uh, are friends with me on Facebook, you can join on there. And if you aren't friends with me on Facebook, you can find me, Porter Sprig, and friend me uh, so you can watch that stream. And then in two weeks, I'll be having a conversation on Ratatouille. So if you like to watch the movies before the podcast release, make sure to watch Ratatouille for next week. Now, I think Cars is a fitting movie to watch and talk about the day after the 4th of July. I mean, it's very Americana with the Route 66 and small town vibes. So I think this was a good fit. I had the Father's Day episode with The Incredibles, perfect timing, and here we go, good timing again, July 4th, the movie Cars, very Americana feel in the movie today. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, and I thank you so much for listening to and supporting A Friend in Me. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I have with me my friend Sam DeVore. How you doing, Sam? Hey, Porter. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm doing pretty well. I'm excited. We're going to talk about the movie Cars, which uh, is one of your favorites, Sam, right? You, you love Cars? I'm going to make a pretty controversial statement and say that Cars is the number one Pixar movie. What? Wow. Well, there you go. That's why I picked him for this one. I kind of was giving him a hard time before we started because he thinks it's one of the best. But you know what? It is really good. Uh, I'll... I did enjoy it a lot watching it. I sometimes, yeah, I get, I give it some crap uh, around Sam, but being honest, it is a good movie. <laughs> why do you? Why is it your number one, Sam? So one of my most powerful emotions is nostalgia, and uh, I grew up in Oklahoma, which is sort of the South Midwest. And as Porter just told me a few minutes ago, Cars has the most Southern feel of any Pixar movie, so it yeah. makes sense that I would like it. It's set in Route 66, and I actually grew up on Route 66, so a lot of the movie just makes me think of small-town Oklahoma, and uh, yeah, just makes me really nostalgic, so I love watching it. Gives me that homey feel. Yeah, that's great. So Sam, let's talk a little bit about how we became friends. So we are kind you're the newest friend that I have had on the podcast. I'm uh, honored. Yeah, less than a year. <laughs> Uh, of our friendship. But yeah, tell them a little bit about how we met and maybe we can tell them about the the place that has helped us bond. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. So I, like I said, I'm from Oklahoma originally, but I recently moved up to Massachusetts and the North Shore to start seminary. And when I got here, this guy Porter was here and uh, he liked baseball. And uh, so I 
reached out to him about that, but it turns out he was a Red Sox fan. I was a Yankees fan. Yeah. Didn't think there would be much of a friendship that would come out of that. But a few nights after I got here, I got a text and said, hey, you want to go get some fried chicken? And uh, that was the ticket to my heart. So I went with him to this place called Flip the Bird, uh, which is a, our official sponsor for this podcast. Yeah, and, that uh, tonight's episode sponsored by Flip the Bird. <laughs> and we've probably been about 20 times since together. So that was the start of our friendship. The Nashville hot, baby. Best yeah, fried it. chicken on the North Shore. <laughs> they keep raising their prices, though. That's true, but it's still worth it. Still worth it. And they didn't even pay us to say this. Yeah, to be honest with you, at orientation, I met three Yankees fans, I think, and I was pretty discouraged thinking this is not a good sign. But Sam seemed to be the nicest one of the Yankees fans. Oh, thanks, buddy. And I thought, oh, this guy, uh, we, we could hit it off. So, yeah, I was uh, grateful to... Uh, have connected with him. We've also played a lot of spike ball together this year and lots of pandemic legacy. Oh, yeah. We are halfway there to saving the world from the pandemic. Not the real one, but the fictional one. <laughs> We're best friends in the game, too. We have a oh, pretty great true. power up, and uh, the power I think it's bled over into our real friendship. I was about to say, that is only indicative of our real-life synergy. We're pretty good at spike ball together, too. We have good... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although we have a tournament that we were going to go to together, and now I'm bailing on him, so that's kind of sad. So if you're out there listening and you play spike ball, I'm looking <laughs> for another partner to replace Porter. There you go. Feel free to reach out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I've really appreciated getting to know you, Sam, and I really wanted to make new seminary friends this year. That was one of my goals. And coming into this year, yeah, it's just been really great bonding with you and with Chris, my roommate, and our kind of uh, third partner in crime. <laughs> Probably the the ringleader in crime, if we're being honest. But uh, yeah, it's been uh, really great bonding with you all and with Ben, your roommate. And yeah, it's been a good year. Good year at Conwell. Yeah, we, uh, we call ourselves the young hero and his boys. And uh, Porter and I are two of the boys with a Z. That's and, true. Uh, yeah, I've really appreciated getting to know you too. It's been great having you as a friend. I see the world very black and white, and Porter definitely sees it more gray, so he challenges me on some of my uh, more hot takes. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well, it's it's been great, and uh, excited to, you know, continue our friendship, continue uh, playing spike ball and watching Pixar movies and <laughs> and getting flipped the bird. So let's talk about this movie, the one that you have already labeled as number one on your Pixar list. I will admit it's not number one on mine, but uh, let's let's talk about it. So this time, I know you said it's a nostalgic movie for you. You've watched it a lot. Yep. This time, what stood out to you or, yeah, what really hit you on this viewing? Yeah, I think what stood out to me the most is, this is kind of silly, but the world building I think is just so good. Like we live in a world of cars that are supposed to be people. And in the in credit scene, there's a bunch of uh, odes to previous Pixar movies, but they changed all the characters to cars. And I think that's just really funny. It and is. humor is what stood out to me, I think, throughout the whole movie. Like, I, like I've said, I've watched this movie several times, but I probably laughed harder this time than any other time I've watched it before. There are just some really great lines, especially from Mater. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what were some of your favorite Mater lines? Do you remember them? <laughs> yeah, I think the best one is when he's in the courthouse, he's representing McQueen as his lawyer, and 
Sally walks in and McQueen's, you know, trying to flirt with her and then finds out that he that she knows Mater and Mater says, yeah, she's my fiance. And Lightning's like, wait, really? And he's like, no, she just likes me for my body. <laughs> and then later on, Mater says, uh, when Lightning's in trouble, he says, this might be a bad time to bother you, but you owe me $32,000 in legal fees, <laughs> which also is a great line. But yeah, Mater is hilarious. Yeah, I do think the world building is great. And I they really tapped into some NASCAR connections. They have a bunch of real voices from real NASCAR racers, from Bob Costas yeah, Bob is in Costas. there, the click and clack from the car talk. Yep. <laughs> so... Yeah, they did a great job of that for sure. <clears throat> I think for me, the thing that stood out was the montages. There's a lot of musical montages in this movie, probably the most of any Pixar movie that I can remember. And they do a really good job of setting this scene. The two that really stick out, one is Life is a Highway. I mean, we were talking about that song <laughs> I was wondering, did that song come from the movie Cars? Which might have been an ignorant question. I actually didn't look it up, so I still don't know the answer, but probably not. But in my mind as a child, it was just connected to Cars. Like, anytime I heard that song, I pictured... Oh, yeah. The movie has definitely yeah. defined that song. Exactly, yeah. And then the other one that really struck me was the Our Town, where Sally is telling Lightning about what the town used to be like, and they have this kind of... Yeah, just emotional song. And you see Mater with his fresh paint and, and they're all happy. And, and then you kind of see how the interstate development shifted uh, the business of the town. And now it's become this decrepit place. But yeah, yeah, it was emotional. And uh, they do a really good job of matching the songs in this movie to the vibe they're going for. That's true. They also have the life... Life could be dreaming or life. Sh life I don't know. could be a dream. Yeah, yeah that yeah. one. <laughs> that one. Great song as well. So yeah, that that's really what stood out to me. You mentioned Mater, but do you have another favorite character, Sam? Because I I have a a feeling based on some conversations we've had about cars before that you have a character that you really love. <laughs> yeah, I, I was hoping you'd ask me that, Porter. So another thing that I love about Cars, in addition to the nostalgia it brings me, is that I know every time I sit down to watch this great film, <laughs> I'm going to witness the most clutch play in the history of sports. And you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. It's none other than Guido. In <laughs> uh, the final race, he comes up, the, the pit crew right next to him is making fun of him that he's tiny, he doesn't know what tires are, and he has the fastest pit stop in the history of racing. It's under four seconds if you sit down to time it. And he just knocks the greats off the front. Their mustaches are gone. They don't know what to do. And it helps McQueen get back in the race. I love it. I love it. And I love that you just exposed that you have timed that before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's timed it. Four I've watched seconds. just that scene. When I feel down, sometimes I just pull up Disney Plus and go to that scene. <laughs> when I when I pulled up the, the computer to start the movie... For Porter and I to watch it, it was actually paused on that scene already. So just to show you how much I like Exposed, it. Exposed, yes. Oh, man, that's hilarious. Guido, he is clutch. Say his iconic line, say it. Pit stop. Yeah. 
You will have your time, Guido. You will have. No, what is it? Chance? Is your it... chance, yeah. Oh. Luigi's got to hold him back. He's the whole thing. Oh, you coach. say that one too. I can't say. You got it. You will have your chance, Guido. You will have your chance. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. That is that is great. I will say, I think it's probably the second most clutch moment in sports history Whoa. because Dave Roberts' steal of second base okay. in the 2004 okay. NLCS. Okay. <laughs> Has to be number one, right? When we came back on the Yankees, when we were down 3-0. How many many championships did the Red Uh, Sox have? (laughs) Uh, We don't need to talk about championship Mm, numbers. We just need to talk about, you know, 2004. Okay. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, we won't go down the Red (laughs) Sox-Yankees rabbit hole too more. Let's talk more about, you know, other cocky uh, people like Lightning McQueen. (laughs) Great great segue there. Flawless. (laughs) Oh, man. Yankees are cocky. Okay. Um, <laughs> what do we got? What do we got? Let's talk about this movie and what it could say to our culture. And you know what? To be honest with you, I only really thought there was one message in this movie. And I was like, eh, there's only one thing. But watching it, there's more that we can say. There's there a lot of layers. So Definitely. let's think, what did you say, Sam? Or what do you what do you think about some of the cultural implications for this movie from this movie yeah i think we live in a world both within this movie and still true in in real life today that really glorifies winning and success and i think the message of cars shows us that winning and success aren't the most important things they aren't the most rewarding things at the beginning of the movie movie lightning mcqueen says this line where he he, uh is talking to the media and he says you know racing's about more than just winning and when he says it at the beginning He's not saying that in a, in a wholesome way. He's saying it as, look at the show I just put on. I was up a whole lap on everybody else. Aren't I so great? Winning doesn't even matter because look at me. I'm so cool. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, he loses the race because he went to push King over the line for his last race in a very wholesome moment. And the owner of Dynaco comes up to him and McQueen goes, why do you want to give me the sponsorship? I didn't win. And the Dynaco owner says... Racing's about a lot more than just winning. And so it really comes full circle. What McQueen says the beginning mm-hmm. in a very cocky way ends up coming back to be the wholesome message of the film. And what I think it's trying to tell a culture that has over glorified and really put too much of a premium on winning and success, whether that be the corporate ladder or just, you know, mm-hmm. checking off goals in your inbox or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. And what does it present as the alternative or for our culture, you know, what, what does the movie say it should be pursued if it's not that sort of success or climbing the ladder? Yeah, I really think it comes down to what happens right after that is loyalty. The Dynaco owner offers him a spot in this prestigious company to be really the, the spokesperson for them. And he turns to his Rusty's crew who mm-hmm, earlier in the movie, mm-hmm. he was like, get me out of here. I'm no way I'm signing another deal with you guys. And he says, hey, these guys gave me my big break. And I'm going to be loyal to them because they were loyal to me. And so I think it presents that there's aspects of friendship and community and really just being loyal and trustworthy to others that mean more than winning and success. Yeah, that's great. That's another part of how this movie, I think, leans into me saying it's the most Southern Pixar movie. It also is kind of affirming some of the values of country living and as opposed to some of the stereotypes of city living or where sure. it's kind of just this rat race of getting ahead and and not caring for your neighbor. And so I think you're right. Community, loyalty, and humility 
are really uplifted by the movie. And what, where do you think maybe it could be in our context here at the seminary or in our broader culture, like in the country, but where do you see maybe people struggling with this same struggle that lightning deals with? Yeah, I think so. I studied economics and finance in undergrad, so I was around a lot of people that were striving to be business leaders and really just make as much money as they could. And a lot of times they were either workaholics that couldn't do anything else besides their schoolwork or think about where they would go in their career, or they would ask questions and look for ways to, how can I climb the corporate ladder faster than anybody else? Mm. And in such a way that they were asking how do the ends justify the means? Mm. And so I think in the movie, Lightning really doesn't care who he hurts on his way to the top. He just wants to be the best and the brightest. He wants to win the Piston Cup, and it doesn't matter what it takes to get there. And I think a lot of our world is saying the same thing, is that how can you be successful? How can you get to the top? And what Lightning learns is that uh, how you play the game matters too, and it's not about how you look playing the game, but it really is about how... Do you have integrity? Are you fulfilling the promises that you make to people like he made to Mater um, and different things such as that? Yeah, that's good. I, I think at the beginning, he really just cares about appearances. Like he doesn't actually care about being having a depth in his character, but he just wants popularity. He likes that the girls are screaming at him. He likes that. Uh, he's this hot, flashy, famous guy, but we see that he is experiencing that emptiness, but it's kind of just masking it with this fame and masking it with this success driven view. But there's a point at which his agent says, oh, you can invite all your friends to this next, uh, to the next race. And he's like, give me a list of their names and lightning kind of there's sadness in his eyes and he's like, oh yeah, friends, which kind of shows how when you live your life driven specifically by kind of climbing a ladder, making money, that actually inhibits your ability to have a life of a kind of robust connection. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's also a scene later where Lightning is talking to Sally and He's asking her about her past life before she got to Radiator Springs. And she talks about how she was a big lawyer in L.A. and the hustle and bustle of the city life. And he asks her, why didn't you ever go back to that? And she says, you know, I was successful, but I really just wasn't happy. And then Lightning says, yeah. Oh, I mean, really? As if at first he just fully agrees with her and says, yes, it, it isn't a happy life to be in that hustle and bustle. But then he kind of catches himself and says, oh, really? Like, how could it not be happy, even though he knows uh, that there's an emptiness there? So yeah, I think you're spot on that there's a really good message in this movie to consider what might be more important mm. than victory and fame, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so what what did you see as far as the, the cultural messages that Cars was trying to tell us here? This flows pretty directly from what we were just talking about. But I think it's something that specifically hit me because of my own tendencies and my own, yeah, struggles. So <laughs> some people listening to this, you included Sam, might think, oh, wow, he's going to talk about that point. That's the one. <laughs> like I've seen him uh, fail to live up to this. But <laughs> anyway, this is maybe that's why I'm talking about it because I uh, am a culprit of this. But 
I think the movie shows that living a life of speed makes it harder to live a deep life. So at the beginning of the movie, he's all about speed. The first line of the movie is, I am speed. And it's all about hustle. And obviously he's a race car, but it's more than that. He is constantly going from thing to thing. He's telling his truck, no, you have to make it through the night. You have to drive through the night. You can't even take time to rest because we need to get to the next place. Kind of just constantly going through crew chiefs because he doesn't work well with others. Just a lot of different rush and hurry in Lightning's life. And then he also has a lot of these daydream sequences in the movie. And at first, his daydreaming is about, oh, what will happen if I win the race? Or, oh, what will happen if my rival wins the race? And they are very fast paced. And there's this music like, meow, 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 like techno music. And, and it's cutting from thing to thing. And just like a lot of hustle and bustle. And it shows you that his brain is wired to be fast paced, distracted, yeah. constantly thinking about other things and those things being super uh, fast paced. Then, of course, he ends up in Radiator Springs with Mater and with the blinking yellow light. And uh, it just is a much slower paced way of life. Interestingly, as he begins to shift and as he begins to form actual friendships and as he begins to connect with this town and see that their way of life is valuable, what struck me, and I never noticed this before, was that his daydreams still happen but they're slower. At the end of the movie, during the races and stuff, he starts dreaming of a country drive with Sally or just his friends smiling at him. And instead of his daydreams being this fast-paced reality, he's actually having these slower visions of a good life. It just shows you that there's a rewiring of his mind to value slowness, and with that is coming that transformation you just talked about, about seeing humility and community as more valuable than success. He's, the slowness has actually helped him to develop a deeper life. Hmm. Yeah, Porter, I think that's a really good observation. Are there ways that you maybe see that playing out in your own life? Yeah, I tend to be pretty fast paced. And recently, I would say the past three months of life, I've been very go, go, go. And I've seen the effect it has had on the depth of my life, the depth of my friendships, the depth of my connection with God. And so it's just very important. And I, like I said, I'm preaching this directly to myself to remember that slowness and depth are linked. And if I go, and the core, the opposite of that is speed and shallowness are often linked. Mm. And if I try to live my life constantly distracted, constantly bouncing from thing to thing. I can make it through, but it's not soul satisfying. Right. And that's because God didn't create us to live that way. God created us to to rest, to have Sabbath, to have good rhythms. So, yeah. Amen. Are there any thoughts that that prompted in you, Sam, what, what I just said about kind of the rush and, and speed, either about our culture or in the movie? Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Porter. I, I definitely see that as being true in our society, and in me too. I want to go, 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 go all the time, and I think our society is the same way. We see that people want to get information as quickly as possible. 
Uh, people want to watch TV shows instead of movies. Like the attention span of mm. of the world is just going down. Yeah, and I think we see the consequence of that in the movie when Lightning is up near that abandoned gas station and he sees Route 40 and people just driving by this beautiful valley and driving right past Radiator Springs and he says, "Wow, they're so close to this and they don't even know what they're missing." Yeah, yeah, he says, that, "Yeah, they're just driving past it, basically." And we do that so often in life. We don't take time to appreciate beauty because we're so focused on the next thing. Yep. I think Sally, in that same scene, she says, she says, people didn't drive on Route 66 to make great time. They drove on it to have a great time. There's something about enjoying a journey instead of just seeing the journey as a means to an end of some efficient task. Yeah. Even the line earlier in the movie where she says, Oh, let's just go for a drive. And he's like, Oh, a drive for him. Driving has a, has to have a clear destination has mm. to have a clear point, which is actually kind of true for me. I, I was going to say that's really the type convicting. of person who ever will just go on a drive. Yeah. But I know some parts of the country, that's a big thing. Yeah. I yeah. think for myself, I would say one of my, maybe highest attributes that I strive for is efficiency. Like I see that as a great end to go for. And recently I've sort of been convicted that maybe efficiency is not a great thing to strive for. We see in scripture, and this was pointed out in a class that Porter and I had together, that Paul and Barnabas split over really an argument of efficiency. There's John Mark uh, who made a mistake earlier and abandoned them. And now Barnabas wants to take him on a journey and give him a second chance. And Paul's like, no, 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 the mission is far too important for that. We're not here for camaraderie. We're not here to go slow. We're here to spread this news as fast as we can. And so they split over that. And Mm. as we were reading that in class, I was like, yeah, Paul, let's go. You're totally (laughs) right. And then our professor posed the question, like, which one of these is right? And several people in the class said, I think Barnabas was right. He was caring more about the people than the mission. And I was like, what? But then more and more I thought about it, I think that there's, there's something to be said for maybe both sides there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So in that case, would John Mark be Mater? (laughs) Ooh, that's (laughs) a great comparison we got going. And slowly lightning goes from Paul to Barnabas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Um, Well, well, and in Cars 2, his whole thing is, I think actually Cars 2 is more that way because I think Mater is the pain in his side or Mater is slowing him down or embarrassing him in the big city. So maybe Cars 2 is where we'll pull out that uh, Paul and John Mark. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really like to talk about Cars 2. That's true. Yeah. We t- tend to pretend that it doesn't exist. So It's true. But you know what? We're going to do it. We are going to do an episode on Cars 2, even though it is not a good film. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So anything else that you want to talk about in this section, Sam, before we head on to talking about the theological lens? Something else that I thought of as we were talking about the cultural impacts of this is that in a world of innovation and go-go-go, like we said, a lot of people get left behind. Mm. And that is really true of Radiator Springs. These people used to live a really great life and there was people coming through that they could serve and now their businesses are dying. And I think whether that is a personal innovation or a cultural innovation, like people are left behind in that and often just totally forgotten and left to their own devices to try to figure out how to pick up the pieces. And um, that's really something that we should be open to, to ministering to. And yeah, just reaching out to those people to see how we can help them. Yeah. And I think a lot of the angst in our country 
right now comes from people who feel left behind on either side of the spectrum. On either people on the political left and the political right are hurt by ways in which they feel left behind by the economy or by the country. And I think you're right as fellow citizens, but of course, as Christians, especially, we should have compassion on those people who have been pushed to the side by a culture of efficiency and speed. And this is, I'm just going to sneak in a little bit of theology into my cultural section because I have another theological point. But I I also want to mention the value of Sabbath and know that this film, I think, could be a really good one to advocate for the need for Sabbath. Because for Lightning, that's kind of what his stay in Radiator Springs ends up being. He experiences delight, rest, joy. Now, he does have to repave the road, so he is being put to work. But he has lived this lifestyle of speed for so long, and he actually deeply benefits from rest because it's a more natural way of living, and it's how um, he should live. So anyway, just a quick plug for Sabbath in the midst of a hurried culture. And there's this book I read, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Have you read that, Sam? I have not read it yet, but I've heard you talk about it a few times. You really should read it. (laughs) John Mark Comer. Yeah, and here I am sneaking in another theological point, but, you know, it's good stuff. So now let's turn to that theological lens, Sam. What would you say is a theological message that cars could bring to us as Christians? Yeah, some people might say this is a bit of a reach, but I I don't think it is. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is when Doc Hudson invites Lightning to really win his freedom in a race. And of course, Lightning thinks, oh, this old guy, are you kidding me? I'm a famous race car. This is going to be nothing. And Doc doesn't even move when Guido and Luigi start the race. And Lightning McQueen's way out ahead of him. And Doc just slowly creeps along right behind. And eventually, Lightning McQueen falls off the edge and Mater has to use his toe to get him back. And later on, he goes back out there because he's so frustrated that he couldn't figure out this track. And Doc Hudson tells him, sometimes when you want to go left, you got to turn right. (laughs) And Lightning is really confused by this. He doesn't get it. It's really a paradox. Let's turn right to go left. And one of my favorite things about scripture is that there are a lot of paradoxes in the gospel. If we think about the life of Jesus, he wasn't anything like what the people thought he would be. They thought he would be this cultural, political ruler that would come overthrow the Romans and win glory for the Jews forever. And he didn't do that. Uh, Jesus won victory through defeat. He laid down his life willingly. He overcame sin by dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which just doesn't make any sense. He achieved yeah. glory both for himself and for those who will come to believe in him, not through self-glorification, but through humility. Mm. And I think that if we think about turning right to turn left, it has a lot of scriptural yeah. implications such as that. Huh. You know, I'd never thought of that that way before, Sam, but I don't think it's a stretch at all because at the end of the movie, that's the whole point is that true victory comes through Defeat and humi- like the, the humility of pushing King across the line is a true victory. So in a sense, the movie is already setting us up for to see a, a paradox as a, a good thing and turn right to go left plays into that. Even though, so that's really cool. I'd never seen the connection between that line and the end of the movie. But 
think yeah, you're right. And I think it shows too later in the movie that the paradox of scripture shapes us. Mm-hmm. Towards the end, uh, Chick Hicks knocks lightning out of it and it looks like he's going to be gone. And lightning ends up using the strategy of turn right to turn left. He also uses the strategy of driving backwards that he learned from Mater, which in its own sense was kind of a paradox as well. And so I think when we get to some sort of understanding of how the paradox of scripture, the paradox of gospel, how Jesus lays himself down works, we end up being able to do that for ourselves. And we saw that with lightning. He had the opportunity to win and get this glory through typical victory, but instead he lays that down sacrificially, comes back, pushes King across the line in his final race, and ends up getting the glory through that humility and through that sacrifice. Yeah. Well, and Jesus says, whoever wants to gain his life must lose it, right? Yep. Like, and whoever wants to, uh, if you want to gain the whole world, you might lose your soul type of thing. Like, uh, there's, there is a paradox in the call to obey God. Yep. So yeah, I think you're right. I think lightning discovers the new way of life and it's a life of paradox. It's a life of seeing the values of this world and choosing to reject them. Yeah, and do things differently. And actually live for others rather than self in a world that is telling him live for self. Right. And the movie does a good job too of showing that this is a difficult thing. The first time lightning tries to turn right, he just goes off the edge in a different way. And he's sort of disgusted with it, turn right to turn to go left. That could never possibly work. And slowly but surely, he sees somebody else do it, and he's like, oh, maybe this could work. And then in the most important moment of the movie, he tries it, and it works. And so I think that's a beautiful way of showing us that the gospel has this transformative power. And it might not be immediate, but it is sure. Hmm. Good stuff, Sam. (laughs) I think that's great for discipleship, is thinking through how can we live into the countercultural counter like the way that seems foolish like the gospel is we're told seems foolishness to the greeks and mm-hmm. and, and uh it is not the way that the world would tell us to live and yet walking in that humility and self-sacrifice is actually the way to flourishing yep. and the way to self-fulfillment so in a in a culture that really Value self-fulfillment, maybe the message that may contextualize gospel presentation that we can give to them is turn right to go left. Or, yeah. oh, you want to be fulfilled in the self? You want to feel the, the satisfaction and knowledge of who you are and, and be confident and, and fulfilled in that? Then you have to give yourself to mm. God. You have to surrender yourself wholly to someone else. And actually in that, that's where that freedom will be. And at first, like you said, that will be scoffed at, ah, turn right to go left. But I don't know, maybe that is a good way to think about how we need to communicate the gospel to a culture that cares about self-fulfillment is show them the paradox that leads to true self-fulfillment. Yeah, Yeah, everyone's trying to turn left to go left. And most people understand that it's not working for them. It doesn't take a whole lot to convince even mm-hmm. a non-believer that this is a broken and fallen world. And so I think if we show them how to turn right to go left, maybe they'll, they'll listen, they'll look, mm. they'll consider how can I do this differently. Well, and that connects to that line we mentioned earlier where she says she wasn't happy. And then he's like, yeah. Oh, really? There's something not working. Even though it seems like he's doing the right things, he can't tell what's not working. Yeah. But he knows he's not happy. 
yeah, the typical yeah. success is not satisfying. Yeah. Because the things of this world cannot satisfy. That reminds me of, uh, this is a sermon illustration that I've used before, but reminds me of my, my man, Tom Brady, <laughs> who did a 60 Minutes interview one time and just talked about how empty he felt, even though I think at the time he was a three, had won the Super Bowl three times, and he just felt empty. And they asked him, well, what else could be out there for you? You've been so successful. <laughs> and he says, God, I wish I knew. And yeah. so he's literally, he's using the name of God uh, pejoratively or just in, in vain. Mm -hmm. But that's the, that's the answer, <laughs> right? Like that is, that is what his soul is actually hungering for. So yeah, it's really cool. I'd never seen the depth in that line before. Sam, yeah. So thank you for that. And I <laughs> think that even too goes back to what we were talking about and the need to slow down. I think people are go, go, go in our culture. Like let's climb the corporate ladder as fast as possible because they think that that can give them success. That is the left turn that they've been promised works and it doesn't work. Hmm. Yeah. Humility. Try it. There's another way. <laughs> yes. The third way of Jesus. Ah, yep. good stuff. What about you, Porter? What are some things that you saw? Where does this movie show us the gospel? Where does it maybe fall short? Yeah. Honestly, Sam, this is another reflection that's going to reflect on me <laughs> and that it was convicting to me specifically. And I'm really grateful for it. And I, like I said, I gave you crap about this movie, but huh, I'm out here feeling convicted, feeling uh, taught by the spirit, <laughs> by lightning's journey here. But he enters into this movie very full of himself and with a big ego. And heading into this movie, I kind of thought, yeah, that's his issue. He just is full of himself. And he is. But this movie actually connects that to integrity. So the theological point that I got from the movie this time around was that ego gets in the way of you being trustworthy. Mm. So there's a scene where he promises Mater, oh, yeah, I'll let you go in a helicopter one day. And Mater's like, do you mean it? And he's like, sure, sure. And then Mater says, oh, I knew I made the right choice in my best friend. Best friend yeah. yeah. And that hits lightning. Because to him, it was just kind of empty words. Oh, yeah, I'll let you in a helicopter someday. He didn't really mean much of it. He was right. just saying it to please this guy in front of him. But to Mater, those words had weight. Because in Radiator Springs... People keep their promises. This is a town where what you say is what you get. Yep. People are authentic. And so in where Lightning's from, people will say whatever. His agent, his disembodied agent, who we never see in the movie, which is just a further example of how life in this Lightning's world is not relational. But his disembodied agent says, oh, we'll get coffee sometime. Like, or not coffee, gasoline probably. <laughs> and, uh, then lightning gets excited, like, oh, cool. Like, when will we? And then his agent just hangs up. So it's like, th for them, words are cheap. But in Radiator Springs, words have weight. And so later on in the movie, Doc says to lightning, I want you out of this town because the folks here are good. And he says something along the lines, and they need people who they can count on. Right. Implying lightning they can't count on you. Your ego is too big for them to be to count on you. Yep. So I think that really struck struck me this time was not only his pride, but his lack of integrity and how mm. those things actually overlap. So when you make a promise to someone, sometimes 
you don't actually consider it that important because you're full of yourself and you think, oh, if it's convenient to me, I'll follow through right. on what I told my friend. That yeah. And being honest with you, I do that. I'll tell people, yes, I'll do this thing for you or I'll go to this event or whatever yeah. because I, in the moment, I want to be a people pleaser. I want them to like me. Mm. But do I consider the weight of that, that I just said something? Do I let my yes be yes? Or do I choose self in the moment and then later on I'll text them, hey, sorry, I'm yeah, not going to come. Yeah, somehow justify it. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, I thought that was a very interesting lesson that Lightning learns and that a lot of us need to learn. Yeah, that's fire. And I, yeah, throughout the movie, Lightning starts to feel more and more convicted by that. I mean, Sally kind of confronts him right after it happens and he's like, oh, maybe I did just kind of say that flippantly, but maybe I should be more trustworthy with it. And I think slowly what begins to transform him to be more, what transforms him to show more integrity is that whereas in the past he's had void of friendships and relationships and really just disembodied agents, he now has the unconditional love of a community. If we think about it, Lightning has come into this community and really done nothing but cause some chaos early on, but they embrace him anyway, especially Mater, who really does not hold his sins against him, but just loves him unconditionally, calls him his best friend in the midst of this. Yeah. And we see that the unconditional love that the community shows him really transforms him to to be better, to want to sacrifice for others, to want to show that love to other people. And community is inherently inconvenient. It stops lightning from getting to California, the place where he really thinks he needs to go. But it's that stop, that inconvenience, that slow down, if you will, that helps him grow and understand that there is more than just winning and more than just success, but there's something to this embodied relationship that he finds in Radiator Springs. Yeah. I love what you said about kind of the unconditional love of the community being something that forms him. It's the thing that helps him learn this lesson of humility that we've talked about. And that is really beautiful. And you know what I just thought of, which is cool, is that he is originally told, you have to repave this road. That's your crime. That's your, or that's your punishment. And he hates it. He's, he is very bitter and he does a poor job of it at first and just doesn't care about the town. And his his goal is, I just got to pave this road and then get out of here. So at first he kind of just has this duty sense. His only integrity is from this sense of obligation. Like I'm going to do a good job on this road because if I don't, they won't let me out of here. I, I have to do a good job. But then at the end of the movie, he actually helps them renovate the entire town and helps them throw this surprise for Sally where yeah. the neon lights come back on and they actually change the traffic light and it turns red and green for the first time ever. Yeah. And he has now decided, you know what? I'm not going to just stay here out of obligation, but I'm going to stay and go above and beyond what I was required to do mm. to make this place better because of how it has impacted me and because these are my friends. Yeah, and wouldn't that be so beautiful if we could all say that about the church? Mm. I think this this message of community gives us a twofold really charge. And one of them is that if you desire community, go find it because it can provide these things for you. It can transform you in a way that other things of the world just can't do. Mm. And it also, if you are in part of a community that has transformed you, Let's reach out to others and bring them into this transformative, unconditional love that has first been offered to us 
through Jesus that we now have the opportunity to offer all those who come into our midst. Amen. Yeah. That's good. And we see more of that as, as the movie continues, like lightning doesn't want to leave that community. Even when all the helicopters and press people show up and Matt comes to get him, he's hesitant. He really kind of wants to stay and he eventually leaves. And when he starts racing um, in the final piston cup tiebreaker, two laps in, he's like ready to give up. He doesn't think he can do it. And part of it's because he's missing where he's now found this new home. And then his whole crew shows up and he's re-energized because he's reminded of the unconditional love that they have showed to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so great. And this is something you and I talked about when the movie ended is Hut, Doc Hudson also is transformed by that unconditional love. Cause at first he's the one who wants lightning out because lightning reminds him of his past and his failure and how he wasn't allowed back into the racing world after his injury. And so to lightning or to doc Hudson, lightning is an inconvenience and a pain. Mm. spot. He brings up pain from his past, but he sees how his community embraces lightning and shows love to him. And it's actually the thing that allows him to have the courage to go back out into the racing world yeah. and put himself back out there, even though he has been hurt by the racing world. So Yeah, from the get-go, Doc approaches Lightning with this, you are this other to me, and there's really no hope of restoration in you because I know your type and I know where you come from, and you just need to get out of here before you corrupt the people that I love in this community. And slowly but surely, he sees the way the community embraces him and transforms him, and he is there's a hope that's re-enlivened in him. That's not a real word. There's a hope that is <laughs> reignited in him that yeah. such restoration is is possible. And it, it, yeah, it gets him to come out of his shell, get back on the racing, get back in the racing world and just get this going again. Well, and we're kind of going off now, but I have another thing. We're going to keep going down this trail. We're just going on a drive, you know? They don't need a destination. Take it slow. Yeah, we're just, we're just enjoying the ride here on this conversation. But... That ju- what you just said about Doc made me appreciate Mater more because Mater doesn't ever view Lightning through that lens of you're a bad guy. Mater thinks he's a great guy the yep. whole time. So Mater maybe is a little naive about the actual nature of Lightning's attitude at the beginning of the movie, but Mater sees the best in people. He just, like I said, he's kind of a, what you see is what you get, and he sees the best in Lightning and... I think it's really cool when movies have these characters that are funny and they're com- comedic relief, but when you actually think about it, they are some of the most healthy and like caring people in the yep. movie, which is definitely true for Dory, which we talked about in a couple episodes ago, and now here with Mater, just really good, goofy comic relief characters who also carry a lot of weight as loyal friends. Yeah, so. I'm into that. Something else I just thought of too is we talked about the trans- transformation that community can bring. And one of the lines that I love is, it's just a cup. It's just an empty cup. That's what he says. Mm. And initially, Lightning's main focus, his chief end in this movie is to win the Piston Cup. And when he first finds out that Doc Hudson is the Hudson Hornet, he's like, wow, I can't believe you have these Piston Cups. And Do- Doc sort of says it offhand, oh, it's just an empty cup. And he means it, maybe not in the most go-get-it way, but just sort yeah. of, you know, Stop talking about it. I don't want you to be around. And later, Lightning says, it's just an empty cup in a I understand what's more important than this now way. Yeah. And that's, that's just good. really sweet. That is good. Although that that line does give me, uh, it 
gives me flashes to when Rob Manfred called the World Series trophy just a piece just of metal. A trophy. <laughs> he said, oh, it's just a hunk of metal. <laughs> and I, I was offended by that. But yeah, you're right. In terms of life purposes and are there more important things to life? Yeah, the Piston Cup is just an empty cup and the World Series trophy is just a hunk of metal. Now, Definitely. he said that in the context of going soft on the Astros and they're cheating. <laughs> so that's a different story. But but uh, yeah, well, you know what? Consider me wrong. I Consider me wrong, Sam. I thought that this movie wasn't very deep. And that was me uh, judging a book by its cover like lightning <sighs> with Mater. <laughs> I kind of was a lightning towards this movie, maybe. So I do so think it's going to move you, up my rankings. Are you saying that Cars is now ahead of Turning Red in your rankings? Yes, Cars is ahead, Cars is already ahead of Turning Red. I okay, think. that's good. But I think I'm going to move it ahead of Bugs Life. Let's go! Yeah. <laughs> so my work here is finished, folks. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay, so before we go, I realize I don't know if I made sure you prepared for this part, but we're going to talk about who each other are in the movie. Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? You go first. Okay. So, Sam, this is who I saw. This is who I connected you with in the movie. You might chuckle, but I think that you are like Sally. Because (laughs) (laughs) Sally, at the beginning of the movie, she shows her commitment to the town And says, no, we want to make, she believes that this town can be better, that it can be revivified, that it can be restored. And she's really passionate about the community coming together to make the place better. And she's the one who helps Lightning capture that commitment to revitalization as well. And here this past year, as I've gotten to know you at the seminary, I've seen your heart to build community and for a community to rally around Uh, each other and making the place they live in a better place. And so you've started this group called Mez Life. That's (laughs) right. Shout out. Tell the folks a little bit about Mez Life and what it is. (laughs) So at our seminary, there's this hall called the Great Hall where everyone sort of does their studying and hangs out. And if you walk up the stairs in the Great Hall, you reach what we like to call the Mez or the Mezzanine, if we're going to be official about it. And There's a group of friends that hangs out there and studies there and really like suffers through the life of seminary together up there. (laughs) And I was sort of lamenting the lack of intentional community that was present here. And so I decided to send out a weekly newsletter that was kind of not quite satire, but almost a joke, but a joke that was meant to also build real community. Mm -hmm. And so we host some weekly events. I quote people fakely each week and then comment on the quote that I made up. And yeah, it's been a good time. It's grown slowly. And my hope is that, yeah, just the Mez community ends up bleeding into the rest of the seminary and the rest of the city. And that's definitely something Sally would do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I just, I really admire that about you, your desire to organize people together, to help people make connections and your heart for place. Like you really care about this seminary. You care about, the location, even though, you know, I've lived on the North Shore for a long time and you are newly here uh, from Oklahoma, but it was cool to me to see how quickly you developed a heart for this place, which sadly, we just learned that this campus will probably be sold in the next couple of years. Yeah. 
which was a blow, mm-hmm. but it's cool to see how much you've invested in it. And I know that, uh, your heart is to continue investing in it, even though the future is uncertain. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Thanks, Porter, man. That means a lot. Just a Sally out here looking for my lightning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good job. <laughs> Good job. Do you have a, a tattoo on your lower back? <laughs> Whoa. No, no, I'm just kidding. I don't. Not yet, at least. Maybe this will inspire me. Yeah, there you go. Well, thanks, Porter. I appreciate that, man. Uh, I did not have quite as sweet or thought out or as square of a character comparison for you, but I do have some thoughts. To be honest, I thought you were going to say Guido, and so I was going to say you're the Luigi to my Guido <laughs> because I, I get kind of you know hyped up about some things, and you you talk me down, and you're like, you'll have your chance, Sam. Don't worry. You'll have your chance. Yeah, you, yeah. You strike some reason within me when I need that voice of reason, and that's much appreciated. And I think there are really two characters that I see you as a, as a cross between. The first is the king. And nice. <laughs> predominantly at the beginning of the movie, he goes up to Lightning and says, you have so much talent, but you're stupid. And Porter's never told me that. He's not the most confrontational of people. <laughs> but he does offer freely his great advice. And he does have a wisdom that is beyond his years and even if I sometimes daydream about other things and don't listen to it, I will always appreciate that he's willing to share that with me when it's asked or even when it's not asked. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. And then the other character, I think, was the sheriff because you care about the rules and about upholding them when possible, but you also have a soft side. And when lightning, when they think that he's left, they're like, Sheriff, are you crying? He's like, no, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to watch him anymore anyway, but really he did, so... You grow attached to things and people really quickly, and I think that's a beautiful thing that is really lost in our world today. Yeah, that's funny. You know, compassionate sheriff, maybe that's, uh, I'm about to be an RD, a resident director. He's single ladies, compassionate sheriff. <laughs> that's maybe the vibe I'm going for. Yeah, who, I don't know if the compassionate sheriff in the movie did not have love interest, so I don't know how, what that means for me, Sam. But at least Sally had had a love. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but oh well, thanks. I was I thought about the sheriff for you as well mm. with the one on the one on the enneagram vibes, but yeah. I felt like Sally was a better fit. And yeah, Guido, I almost was just assumed like you are. <laughs> it's like Guido, you're so clutch and so Guido. I was like. The listeners will think that's the most obvious thing I could say. Of course he's Guido. So Sally was like the next step. <laughs> yeah. Guys, the first time we were talking about the movie Cars when Porter was just floating out this podcast idea, I started crying, laughing, just thinking about this scene. And I really couldn't even describe what I was thinking about. And then I showed them. And I don't think they were really laughing at the scene, but just about how much I loved it was something there. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to include in the show notes a link to the YouTube video with this scene. Just Please for do. So make sure to click on that link so you can see Guido in his glory. And you can time it for yourself and see if Sam's correct that it's less than four seconds. It is. I promise. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Sam. It was really great to talk to you about it. And I really appreciate that you helped me you helped me come to love cars because <laughs> I really was not that excited about this one. And you know what? I think it, it was a deeply valuable experience. So thank you. I'm so glad to hear that. I just have one question for you, Porter. 
What? I noticed that all the cars have doors, but what are they open to? <laughs> I actually noticed the same thing when I saw the minivan. I saw his side and it was like, what is inside of him? You know, I want to say there are these kind of automatons that that steer them kind of like no i'm just kidding i don't know okay what do you think is inside do you have a, a theory no i mean nah i didn't really think of much i i was thinking uh it could be a ratatouille situation where the humans are actually just like non npcs yeah you know they're just kind of maybe they're maybe. just like steering type of things huh. but the cars have tongues That's oh maybe true. it's just an anatomy like yeah and a like, human anatomy and some inside of, them, of a car That's some of them I mean. have headlights and some of them don't like are you born with that or is that something you have like surgery to put in they're just as much as i appreciate the world building there are definitely some holes that they did not explore in 2005 and mater's river mirror mirrors are behind his eyes there there where a driver could see it but definitely but he not can't yeah, yeah that's true <laughs> so that was kind of funny he's like i drive backwards with my rearview mirrors and i looked at where they were located on his body and said he cannot see them but you know, that maybe advances my theory that there's some being in them controlling them. No, yep. I'm just kidding. I don't know. We expect a response from Pixar any day, so we'll let you know on the next episode. I think if you Google cars anatomy, car, like cars movie anatomy, I've seen a diagram of Lightning mm. McQueen as if he had like a stomach and organs and stuff like that, I think, which is gross. But if you want to look it up, you can. <laughs> well... On that note, <laughs> uh, on that note, we'll say goodbye. But yeah, thanks again, Sam. It was a real treat. Pleasure having me. <laughs> it was a pleasure having you, Sam. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> pleasure being on, Porter. Really appreciate it. Love what you're doing here. Jesus oh, is cool. Pixar is cool. Amen. Keep up the good work, my friend. In that order. Jesus first. In that order. All right. God bless you guys. Bye-bye. And there you have it. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Sam on the movie Cars. I really did think that Cars was kind of a one-note movie when I was heading into it, but I was pleasantly surprised to see the different things we were able to draw out from that movie as we watched it. I want to conclude by focusing in on the lesson of humility that Lightning learns throughout the movie. Because even though watching the film it's easy to see how annoyingly narcissistic Lightning McQueen is at the beginning of the movie. I think that we all wrestle with those feelings ourselves. And it can be easy to view life through the lens of what can I get out of these people around me? And Lightning at first thinks he has nothing to get from the members of Radiator Springs, but eventually uh, he learns humility. He learns to put others before himself, which culminates in him pushing the king across the finish line, choosing to lose in order to help someone else finish the race. In scripture, we see that the clear victory of Christ comes through sacrifice and humility, that the way to win in the economy of God is not through self-exaltation, but through self sacrifice. So in Philippians 2, Paul specifically talks about what it looks like to live with the mindset of Christ. So I'm going to read a passage from Philippians 2. It's a familiar one, but it's a beautiful one. 
This is Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The exaltation of Christ comes through the humility that he displayed on the cross. Friends, may we live into the mindset of Christ in the way we treat other people. Just as lightning learned to actually live with integrity in his speech and live with humility in his actions, may we be people who care for the people around us and who genuinely sacrifice the exaltation of self in order to care for our neighbors. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please be sure to rate and review the podcast on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts to help us spread the word. That would be much appreciated. You can also support me on Patreon at Porter Sprig if you enjoy the show and want access to bonus content. Don't forget there will be a Facebook live stream conversation on the movie Lightyear this week on Friday night at 7 p.m. So be sure to be there. Uh, You can find it on Porter. If you are friends with me on Facebook, Porter Sprig, it'll be live streamed. And two weeks from today, there will be a conversation between my friend Ryan Hulbert and me on the movie Ratatouille. So you won't want to miss that. And I hope uh, you all tune in for that. Until then, God bless you all. Take care and lean into the humility of Christ. Bye-bye.